media at SAFM with Ashraf Garda. Exploring every media platform and industry. Only on 104 to 107. So the second half of the media show out of three, in fact, is where we are. Because if you've tuned in now, as you normally do, you've missed one hour of the show. And then, as per some of the other tweets, you've missed so much, including chatting to Joe Tlol there, which is really fascinating, uh, I thought, and Radio Days Africa that you missed out on too. But for now, Daniel Munslow is with us. We'll get to him in a second. I'll also tell you, with June 16th having come and gone, we're paying lots of attention to that with Sarah Britton, looking at some campaigns around June 16th and how they worked or in fact did not work. Siemens also has got uh, their new global brand campaign which we're going to touch on as well later on. But let's then get to Daniel Munslow. He's the principal consultant for the VMA Group South Africa but he's got some other titles too. Daniel, good chatting to you. Hi. Hi, good to be back. Good. Tell me your other titles. <clears throat> Will they change every month I gather? Uh, not, not quite every month, uh, but yes, they do. <laughs> on and upwards line, now. Yeah. I've actually just taken over a directorship on the International Executive Board of the IABC, the International Association of Business Communicators. Um, I was previously just the, the Regional Africa Chair, and I now sit on the IEB, which is great to have a representative from South Africa sitting on the board that looks over the entire association. How, how does that change for South Africa? I mean, for you, it's obviously fantastic. What impact would it make on our country? Well, certainly from a business communication point of view, um, if you're talking about an international association and an association that needs to look at um, the requirements of communication around the world, it affords us to have our unique nuances and requirements uh, being heard at the executive board at a level where they make the decisions on uh, what the membership will look like, what corporate memberships will look like, what information is required in different markets. And we now have a face-to-face opportunity to provide them with that information and say, our members and our communicators in South Africa require this type of information not maybe necessarily generic information provided in other markets and influence them to be able to provide us with what they require with what we require all right so that's fantastic and we're certainly glad that you're on this upward curve and good to be associated with you i think love to love to meet up with winners every day having said that we we have this half an hour discussion at nine o'clock which is what we call the thought leader discussion and daniel munzel has been brought in for that to talk about the issue of culture impacting on, on an area that he knows well on reputation management so specifically you know how should we communicate across cultures across all cultures so so daniel let's talk about that how, how do we communicate across all cultures well Ashraf, that's a very broad question a very mm. good one as well um where this actually came from was i had the opportunity to attend and the privilege to present at uh, the world pr forum that took place in toronto mm. at the end mm. of may and the entire theme of that conference was on cross-cultural communication um so 750 um delegates Uh, from about 30 countries, speakers from 22 countries. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that because it's really important in terms of the speakers and the ideas that came through in the conference. So when you talk about how do you communicate across cultures, I'll share with you three examples of global thought leaders and speakers that shared information in that forum and just how intricate it is. But the short answer is you actually need to immerse and understand in the environment and the culture in which you communicate with. So that's we talk about managing your Mm, reputation. mm, mm. Um, So one of the presenters uh, was a very interesting one. Um, Alex Malouf is one of the corporate communications uh, people that sits that works for Procter & Gamble out of Dubai. And he was talking about the way in which uh, they need to land their consumer products in different markets. Now, the way in which they would communicate that from a marketing, advertising, PR, and even internal communication point of view varies by market and by country. So what they do is actual community engagements. They don't just assume that because a piece of communication works in one market, it's automatically going to work in another. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you want to talk to a uh, rural community um, in 
300 kilometers north of Accra in Ghana, you're going to do that differently to the way in which you speak to um, communities in Nairobi, to the way in which you communicate with audiences in South Africa. So when we talk about focus groups, they actually set up an environment in which they immerse in the community engage with people in their space, in their environment, to understand what their hot spots are, what their trouble spots are, what, turn, what turns them on in terms of uh, product marketing, in mm, terms of mm, that. Mm, but it's a very practical case study in terms of the effort, input, and value that they place on cultural appreciation. They don't just make the assumption that what works in one place works with another. And, and let, let me just butt in there very quickly. When we talk culture, you know, th- does culture mean color? It's a lot more than just that. It's about the values, it's about the beliefs, it's about um, the, the systems that people operate um, through. So it's a lot broader than that. I think that's automatically the, uh, the default that people um, assume that it would focus on, but it's broader. And maybe, you know, Ashraf, to answer your question, let me, t- let me go to a broader example where we really talk about how it's a lot more than just culture, um, about um, color and things like that. Um, one of the presenters uh, is actually the med- a medical doctor who is the stakeholder engagement head for the Red Cross. Okay. And they were heavily involved in West Africa with the outbreak of Ebola two years ago or so. And she told a narrative about how they had to engage in those communities around burial rites. So it goes a lot broader than that, but it's those entrenched values. So what happens is very, or traditionally, a lot of the, uh, in a lot of communities, um, after the, the passing of, of a family member, mm-hmm. that body is laid out in order to pay respects to that person. But when that person died of Ebola, leaving the, leaving the body out after the person passed away is actually what exposes other people to the Absolutely. virus. Yeah. But how do you tackle heavily culturally ingrained values on I need to leave that person there in order to pay my respects and say goodbye. And the Red Cross is coming in and saying, actually, you need to bury the person as soon as possible in order to save lives. So here we're talking about stakeholder engagement. We're talking about communication that saves lives. And the example she was giving is how they actually fly megaphones in and go on scooters and bikes from town to town to educate people about what those challenges are. That's very different to what a lot of us are used to communicating, putting up a poster on a notice board or sending out an email. These are people that have no exposure to that. And the only way that you're going to change somebody who has a deep cultural understanding about where they come from and what what is important to them is by going and having that face-to-face conversation with them. And it started with megaphones, and that was the story. Well, there you are. That's really fascinating. By the way, if you wish to engage with Daniel Munslow on, you know, marketing, you know, across different cultures, um, and, and yeah, that point, culture is not pronounced just in black and white. Believe me, it's a, it's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, you, can, you can sort of have your own sub-tribes, I think, within that, right? 0891104207. My name's Ashraf Garda. You can certainly tweet me, uh, at Ashraf Garda. Tweet as well to SFM Radio. Do use hashtag media show. Comment on uh, questions you may want to ask, or even just comment on enjoying the show, and many people are doing that as well, so most appreciated. So, okay, that's, that's amongst the others, but you've also had some others on your list, right, to so go through those. Well, the other very interesting speaker was Janet Morgan. She's uh, the immediate uh, past comms director for GlaxoSmithKline. And she was sharing some really fascinating information about the way in which GSK launched um, CSI projects around the world. And that goes to the point that you raised earlier, once again, that it's not just about color. It's about understanding social norms. It's about understanding the mindset of where societies are at. So if you take something like corporate social investment or corporate social responsibility, Mm -hmm. as they termed it, 
you know, in, in, in a lot of the Western world, CSI is focused a lot more on self-actualized environments. It's more about sustainability. It's more embar- about environmental mm, affairs. Mm. But when you look at the, the African market, South African market and broader, uh, broader of our borders, north of our borders, you look at a lot more fundamental issues. So you need to look at understanding how to build a middle class of the future. You need to understand how to ensure that investment is made in schools and communities in order to grow um, the talent of the future. So is it going to work to come from um, a, a company based in the Western world that could be based in New York, in London, in wherever the case might be, and assume that because that works in that environment, it's going to work somewhere else? So they do a lot of market research, not just desktop research, but they go into those communities. And like I said, focus groups are not just sending out an email or being able to put something on your mobile phone using whatever application is available but actually go and sit around in a in a community gathering and talking to them to understand what their needs are and that was exactly what they did so when you talk about immersing in a culture it's a lot more than just research yeah, very, very important. Is, is, there, is there another one? Because we'll pick up some points coming from there. Those were the three main yeah. ones that I thought would be really valuable to share because they show how cultural immersion, societal understanding, and a different level of research that's required. But very often that requires educating communicators that have not worked in Africa before. Our environment is unique in a lot of respects. And until such time as global communicators um, take a degree of appreciation to understand what our market looks like, what different countries in Africa look like in terms of the communication, and countries next to each other as well. You know, Ashraf, you and I have spoken before when I've done work in Nigeria and Ghana. Mm. Even the two, those two cultures, which are only two very small countries apart, have such a fundamentally ingrained difference in the way in which you engage with because their Because why that's important, you know, especially as... Um, in Africa, and right now as we talk, uh, what is it, the, the 19th of June, so six years ago was the World Cup, and, and this phrase of Africa United, doing it for Africa, and, and we discussed all of that, and we speak as one continent. So in many ways that's fine, but, but the reality from a marketing point, if you think of yourself as one, as one monolith, you'd, you'd be completely off the mark, isn't it? As yeah. you get the point about Nigeria, Ghana, their neighbors, and they're different in terms of how they how they go about doing things. So let's take Nigeria, South Africa, or Ghana, South Africa. Mm-hmm. We cannot market, for example, or even manage reputations based upon a, a specific paradigm that says, I'm sure that's the same all over because we're Africans. Well, exactly. And I think that's the challenge because when you speak to, to a lot of people, they place Africa in one bucket. So we communicate on the continent to these stakeholders in this particular way. But until we understand what happens in each market, and that goes back to the reputation management because you manage your reputation by engaging in the hotspots of a particular community or particular stakeholder grouping. And until you're able to do that, you are going to create reputational risks. It's very similar to the way in which leadership engages. So the research that we spoke about on, on the show a few, a few months ago mm. where we looked at those, what, nearly 250 companies that responded, and they said, for example, in South Africa in particular, they find leadership as one of the top five challenges when it comes to engaging, uh, engaging different audiences. Mm. Mm. Now, that mm. is not necessarily a challenge in other markets, but it is a challenge for us because the way in which our um, stakeholders expect to be communicated with is a lot more face-to-face. It's a lot more engaging. It's a lot more about direct contact with leaders, be they line managers or senior leaders. Same with the media. They expect to hear from the leaders of the organization what is happening. If you look at a number of crisis situations that we've had Mm -hmm. um, over the last 9 to 12 months, 
where were the leaders when the crisis broke? People look for that level of engagement. Is it because of a lack of understanding? Is it because of a lack of uh, appreciation of the power of media and the power of managing your reputation in real time? Those are questions we'd have to but, ask but the just leaders. Just on that basis, if, 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 the, if the leader is absent in the time of a crisis and that leader, he or she then says, because we don't have a linear approach in terms of, mark, of, of, of our company. In fact, it's, uh, there's a, there's, it's not even a pyramid. In fact, we, we have a very, very equal flat line approach and therefore there are people delegated to do that so I don't have to be as the leader taking charge. How does that come across if one says that? Well, one needs to understand that times are changing and that also links back to culture and um, cultures within cultures and the way in which, for example, youthification and generational theory comes into play in the real workplace. And uh, when I was at the IABC World Conference in New Orleans immediately after the World PR Forum, there was a superb speaker on the way in which the world is changing. And there was one slide that resonated very effectively. On the one hand, he showed the traditional hierarchy of business. And it goes CEO, exco, board, exco, etc. So it's very linear, as, as you described. But then he put another slide on that basically showed the galaxy. Mm. And he's saying, we have become an interconnected environment, social environment, where all these role players are becoming less hierarchical in society. So how can you, if society is moving ahead at this rate and adapting and becoming agile to all the um, developing technologies that are happening, the changing ways in which we need to communicate to manage our reputation, how, it, how can a business continue to operate in a very strict hierarchical fashion when society has moved ahead so much? Mm, mm, and another, an, another presenter which is linked to that theme, um, her presentation was actually very powerful and very provocative in that it was titled Adapt or Die. Wow, That's very powerful. Mm. And it links to the whole principle of saying, if we are not agile enough to understand that those are the changes happening in our environment, and one of them that goes back to that core principle of communicating across cultures is the way in which we need to move away from seeing society and seeing businesses completely and utterly as the traditional hierarchy that existed 5, 10, 15 years ago and saying that we actually need to adapt. And if we're not agile enough to adapt to that changing environment, how do we actually sustain our reputations with our stakeholders? Because they expect certain things from us. They expect to have targeted marketing to stakeholders. They expect from an internal comms point of view to speak to stakeholders in a way in which employees want to be spoken to. Not this blanket approach of an annual roadshow where we talk at people and talk to people in a collective monologue, but have real dialogue, have engagement, have conversations, have that principle of collectivism, which is very heavily ingrained in a lot of cultures. But they still want the leader, although there's collectivism, and it's an interesting point. Yes, it is. They do want to hear from the leader, but they also want their voices heard. And if you think about a, a typical environment, and if we just talk about it from an internal point of view for a second, leaders will have a roadshow and they will speak to all of their employees in one environment and say, this is where the company is going. All employees want that, but they also want to be heard. So how do you cascade information within a business to appeal to that level of engagement or to drive that level of engagement by making their voices heard? So even though everybody wants to hear the leader from the top speaking and you have that sort of cloud view and sense of confidence that the business is heading in the right direction, you also need to look at it from the point of view of saying that is still monologue. It is still one-way communication. Yes, absolutely. It's not dialogue. And that becomes a very interesting question of um, what was termed the crisis of listening. To what extent do we as businesses listen to those communities, listen to 
the media listen to employees and to what extent is that listening monologue as in we are telling you something or we hear what you're saying but we do nothing with the information and to what extent is it dialogue we hear what you're saying and as a result of what you've told us we will implement something different in order to make a difference mm. to our reputations really interesting discussion chatting to daniel munsley is part of our thought leader discussion we have at nine or five past nine every sunday on the media show and uh, certainly temba and simango appreciating it daniel saying great insights on uh it's just a cross-cultural uh, communication. Whether it's across or cross-cultural, I don't really know. Uh, Andile Mbete saying cultural intelligence is essential towards effective global communications. And then saying great insights from Daniel Manzo. So certainly you've got some people listening in. And uh, younger saying marketers generalize brand messages most of the time, which goes over their audience's mm. heads, which I think in many ways is what you're just talking about. But let's bring it back to, to, down to South Africa now. All the things you've said. In terms of of our market, who's doing what as per, let's call it your brief? Who's doing it right? I think when you look at our market, there are a lot of companies that have understood that you need to target different stakeholder groupings with different types of communication and ensure that you get the message across right. So if you think, if we talk about specific brands, let's take something like a Nedbank, for example. They do exceptionally good work at targeting different audiences with different messages, be they um, youth audiences. And even when um, I've done work in Lesotho or Swaziland, the ads that Nedbank uses in those different countries are slightly different to the ads that you'll see driving down the N1 or M1 in Johannesburg. Mm. So they've understood that you cannot simply take a beautiful outdoor billboard and put it wherever you want it in order to engage audiences. But they've also understood on the social media front how to engage with their stakeholders. And an example of that is if you tweet them and you say, um, I've got a challenge, I'm, uh, I've got a frustration, the queue's too long, they respond to you very quickly to say, what branch are you, what can we do about it to help you? And I think those are very important examples, but you cannot just play lip, pay lip service to it. Otherwise, it becomes that monologue we spoke about earlier. Absolutely. You've got to engage and you've got to do something different. You've got to respond to what the people are saying, and you've got to implement a plan of action in order to address that. Then you have other companies that during crisis just go quiet and ignore all of their stakeholders. And that doesn't help when it comes to that principle of listening. So you've got different examples. Okay, I mean, you, I mean, besides talking about culture, I mean, uh, basically dealing with reputation management is, is a space that you, you're very much an authority. I mean, you play in that space, right? Yes. So, so you know, in, in terms of South Africa, then, you know, you could mention names if you like. I'd love to know. <laughs> uh, maybe you're sort of holding back to sort of protect your own reputation. I don't know, right? But... Do you think by and large we're getting it right or by and large we're getting it wrong? I think South Africa, if we talk about South African communicators, I think we get it more right than most. And I think the reason for that is because unlike a lot of other markets, we deal with that communicating across cultures a lot more frequently than some other markets do. So that complexity of audiences, think about our rainbow nation, just think about the mm, complexity mm, of communicating mm. with audiences, our environment in real time every day. You have a business that will be made up of probably all 11 official languages, let alone where everybody's origins come from. So we're a lot more adept and a lot more used to communicating with those environments. But, but is it fair to say that I think in the past, and you spoke about talking down, and I'm going back to June 16th, 76, which is just so prevalent in terms of where yes. we are just now, that historically it would be a case of, that's the paradigm, you work for us, that's how you fit in. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that increasingly that's not happening any longer? 
No, it's not. I think more companies are realizing that if they want to engage their stakeholders, if they want an engaged workforce that drives discretionary effort, if they want um, engaged media that, 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 that report favorably about them and report factually about the, the information that's happening and communicate the right ideas, the, the level of engagement is increasing drastically and the level of audience appreciation is in great, in, um, changing drastically. So it's no longer a case of coming down and saying, you, as you say, you work for us, therefore you will do what we tell you to do. Mm. But it is becoming increasingly collaborative and it is increasingly becoming an exercise of putting empirical data in place to understand what your audience looks like. Uh, when I've worked in the past in uh, in the retail space, for example, or even in mining is an excellent example, mm, mm. the fact that they do communicate in multiple languages to address the requirements of the different audiences is becoming key. It's not a question of saying we will only communicate in English because that's the way in which we mm, communicate. Mm. You understand that if 90% of your workforce does not use English as a primary language, you need to communicate with them in a way that's going to engage them. So on an external front, from a reputation management point of view, you have um, the adaptation of content, the adaptation of advertising and marketing, um, and even the adaptation of brand in order to appeal to specific audiences. And internally, it's a case of understanding who is my audience made up of? If you're an American company coming into South Africa, and in America your approach is a lot more direct, it's I'm sending you an email, you will read it, you take ownership for reading it, and you will action on it. Here it's a lot more about what what is my manager telling me? What is the huddle around mm, me in mm. order to have that level of conversation? So there are a lot of nuances that come into play when it comes to internal and external reputation management, and it's interesting to see how companies are evolving and adapting to the times in understanding those cultures. Okay, you may not be working on the Starbucks account, so with, with respect, okay? But Starbucks has just come to South Africa, and it's a good example. Finally, I mean, they, they were part of bigger stores before, but now they're on their own. Would you say that buy and launch these, these global companies like Starbucks that they have a certain brand and that's why they exist and they can't change that brand, uh, the brand properties, otherwise they wouldn't, well, there would be no appeal. But they still have to adapt to South Africa, isn't it? Do you have any idea, you know, some of them like that? Are, are they doing things differently in our country compared to, let's call it, what the, what the principal brand would stand for, say, in the USA? Look, Starbucks is definitely a very good example of a brand that understands the different markets that it engages mm -hmm. with, both from a strategic business objective level, business objective level, where you talk about pricing parity. I mean, I was when I was in the States last week, a Starbucks will cost you $5. You can't charge 100 Rand for a coffee. So from a business level, they understand it. But if you look at um, the, the Starbucks uh, promotions and ads on their Facebook page, they're very localized. And that becomes very appealing. So they've understood that they can't take the market and what they do overseas and simply land it in this country. And fortunately for somebody like, for an organization like Starbucks, they've implemented um, companies all over the world. Um, I don't know the exact number of countries they operate in, but, but it's quite substantial. And they're able to adapt. But what it is, is they do their homework. They do their market research. They understand what works in that market before they go into it. And that's often where if you look at somewhere where South African companies could put a bit more time is around that research and measurement, is spending time understanding factually what the audiences are looking for, not take for granted that because we have a gut feeling for it or because we think it's worked in the past that we go and implement it. What, what is a local, we've got about two minutes to go, what is a local company, a local store or, or a consultancy uh, in, a, in, a, in a suburban part of South Africa that needs market research and they don't have whatever, 100, 200,000, a million rands to spend on market research, what, what, what do you suggest they do? But you know, it doesn't have to cost that amount of money. It also doesn't have to be in the seven digits when you talk about research. 
you know, if you look at the example I shared with you a few minutes ago around Procter & Gamble, it can actually be just immersing it in an environment and doing qualitative research to understand what it is, drawing the themes out and doing it. If you have the big budgets and you can spend 5 to 7% of your marketing budget on thorough research, great. But if you're not, do what you can. Do the, the less expensive exercises. Have the conversations with the community. Pull employees together and have an informal focus group and get a fun. sense of what's is, going on. Is, is social media a, uh, a vehicle for, for qualitative research? It is to an extent, but one again from a culture point of view, not all environments are on that. So the example with the Red Cross, if you go into some communities, as much as we believe that social media dig has digitally leapfrogged communities, you go out there, they're still using megaphones to communicate. So again, it goes back to understand your audience. Is that a tool that your audience is going to use? It is a great, it is a great tool to use to get a, sort of an asset test or a dipstick of what's happening in that market. Um, depending on the, the number of people that respond, you may or may not have enough information for it to be um, qualitative or quantitatively valid, but at the end of the day, it gives you a sense, and sometimes um, less accurate research that's done at less cost is still better than doing nothing at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. Okay, last thing before I let you go. Last thing. Anything else you want to say? I just want, I think, to sum it up, I think something that you raised along the way is very important to say is I think that we as South African communicators often downplay the quality of work that we do. Um, you and I have seen it in the PRISM Awards and the phenomenal quality mm. that we mm. do. And when I, when I spoke overseas and I see the case studies that they share and I look at the quality of work that we do, I think we have a lot to be proud of, a lot of great work that we're doing, and we need to actually be showcasing this and educating even global communicators on the quality of work that we do. And then be mar global market leaders emerging from South Africa. It makes absolute sense to me, Daniel Munzler. I'm going to say from the VMA, but give me your other title again. Uh, and IEB director on the IEBC. Well, there you, <laughs> Thanks, uh, you know you've got some work to do. You've got about five or six things to tweet to us. Uh, we may do it anyway, but in case we miss it, you can tweet me with key takeouts from your point of view using that hashtag media show. I will do and so we'll later today. Follow it up. Absolutely, Daniel Munzler. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Uh, our thought leader for the day. Now,